Hey, Josh. Hey, Nate. How are you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. I got my first Stripe payout for Product Sonar this week. Woohoo! Stranger money, right? I know, right? <laughs> I was so excited. It was great. My wife sent me like a screenshot of the confirmation on our bank account. It was like, ah. <laughs> nice. I'm going to frame that, I think. Sounds good. Yeah, didn't uh, Michelle do something with that like a couple weeks ago? I think she spun up a little website for that or something, right? Yeah, Michelle Hansen, one of our friends on uh, on Twitter, she uh, has a site that's got all of the like first tweets of founders getting their first payout kind of thing. Uh, I forget what the URL is, but uh, we'll have to look it up after. Yeah, you got to make sure you get on that that wall of love over there. Yeah, yeah. How are, how are things with you? Uh, good, good. Had a weather, I think is turning a bit, which is nice. Hopefully I'll go get to outside this afternoon and, uh, throw the softball with my daughter, which we've, we've, uh, she's gotten really into softball last fall mm-hmm. has, has turned into quite the, the pitcher for a 10 year old. So, and she loves to practice. So, uh, awesome. I just basically go out there and I'm, she's reasonable at taking direction. Cause I have a lot of like athletic direction from like handball and a lot of other sports and stuff and she's really good at it so and she loves it so that's awesome that sounds like a lot of fun you guys have uh all your snows melted and whatnot down there yeah i mean for us it's probably different than for you like once we get snow it's usually gone within a few days so when you say snow's melted i think for you once you hit snow it may stay for a long time or or maybe it dwindles a little and then piles on again right (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we have uh, snow pretty consistently between like January and end of March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, uh, what are we talking about today? So today, I thought we'd talk a little bit about pricing strategies um, for a couple different standpoints. So, I know we've talked a little bit about it with some of your stuff, which mm-hmm. you know could relate to today's big win you're talking about with your Stripe payout. Um, and I, th- I know we talked about various things with stuff you're doing, and we can um, talk about those. Another one was uh, I was talking to another founder the other day about her pricing strategy and and kind of uh, she's a, a little more advanced, has a few more users than you, paying users. Um, mm-hmm. Not a ton, but still doing pretty well and in a well-honed like space. And in addition to that, of course, I'm like relooking at our own pricing. It's been something on my mind for quite some time, and there's some models I've really liked. So I think we can span early approaches, even mid-level approaches, and and even more advanced, you know, hundreds of customers uh, approaches. Yeah, that uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Cool. So did you want to start on on your end about? Sure. You know, share where, where you want, and then we can kind of dive in a little bit there. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, I'll share what the things I don't know, and maybe we can have a discussion <laughs> about that. Because um, I've been thinking about pricing a bit lately, just um, as I've started to spread to more customers and trying to get people onboarded and whatnot. Um, and I guess the the hard thing that I'm coming up against is how do I decide what to charge people to start with? Um, like they're there isn't really another product in my space that I could kind of anchor off of. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't really like there is an alternative to what I do, um, but it's really insanely expensive. Um, so I'm not sure that I can anchor off of that. Um, yeah. Like how, how would you think about 
pricing something to start? Well, you brought up two really good points. So one was like competitive pricing, right? So if there are price anchors or things like that in the market, you know, oftentimes people even go into a startup market or a market basically seeing that, hey, that thing looks really expensive. I'm it looks like there's some meat on the bone if I charge charge a uh, you know be a, be essentially a cheaper version as a as a starting positioning. So um, so that that's one yeah. that's one angle. You're, you're you've you've alluded to the fact that that's challenging for you because there really isn't competition and really who you're competing with is like a manual process, right? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's where you're pricing more to value, right? Like where you're not really pricing against like what is a market anchor like you mentioned the mm-hmm. word anchor which i think was good um but then you're really talking about like pricing to value like replacing work mm-hmm. that is being done or sometimes in a uh actually this came up with the other use case i was thinking about with the other friend of mine which is like if her pricing can potentially align with someone making more money mm-hmm. then something like taking a percentage of that can make sense because it's like before you made X and after you made Y and that's like a really good alignment. Yeah. That's something she could do, but that yeah. might be more challenging in your situation. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing, like thinking about that is like how, how to set that initial price, because I feel like afterwards you could kind of see how people react, right? Like when you're, when you're at a mid-sized company, you can kind of see that, Oh, the, the funnel doesn't seem to, seems to dry up if we increase our pricing for them. And if, we decrease, decrease, we're going to probably get more customers. And so you can kind of play with that number a little bit. But with um, with this, like every person I run across is really valuable to me at this point. So <laughs> I, I feel scared to give a price that's too high. Um, and I don't know how to feel that price out, uh, what's reasonable right. and what's not. Do you have any yeah, thoughts I mean, on the, that? Those, I mean, th- there's, there's another element to that because I think you, with... Cause you're talking about like a scarcity, right? Like where you're worried and most people aren't worried or shouldn't be worried about this. Like, mm. okay, how many, how many people are there? Are there out there in my target market? Right. So that's a challenging one because like for our business, for, you know, referral rock selling to SaaS and all kinds of businesses. And there's, there's so many businesses that I have, like there's new businesses popping up every day and developing. Right. So, the, I'm worried less about taking a shot on goal and missing, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. but if, if that is a true concern of yours, then yeah, I like, like you need to tread a little more carefully. Um, not that, not that you couldn't go back to these people later, but you, mm-hmm. there is sort of a, uh, first impression type of type of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but I think on, on that one, you know, we've talked about, you know, having a, having a lower priced approach to a certain point to where setting the expectation that the price can change later. So this is like a pilot and that type of thing, I think is a good way where you can even price yourself a little below what you think just to make sure you're going to get some traction there. But also you're setting the expectation that this price can and likely will change. But Setting it for, let's say, a year price on this, hey, what's the skin off your back type of pilot approach could be a good way to kind of 
get them in the door, but not lock yourself into like a, a price that is too low. Right. And I guess that that makes you think about though, like what, what are people's expectations around pricing? Because I think as a new, as a new company, you could price, you know, closer to your margins and just to, just to hopefully get more people. And then uh, once things start going well and people start really seeing the value of it, that's when you can, you know, increase the prices. And I wonder if how, how early you need to communicate that you might change prices because, you know, who knows what you will do in, you know, six months a year. I mean, that's the beauty of the subscription. So uh, the other piece is like, it depends on the maturity of that, that person. Or, and I get thing we get into more is like buyer psychology, right? Like mm. who are the types of buyers you have and what are their expectations, right? So if they're, if they're a technology company, you kind of know people change their prices like an annual basis or every couple of years. So knowing that that could happen, if anything, you might be more inclined to lock in for a longer period. Like that's how people get their yeah. own sense of like expectation with that. So they know that the subscription mechanism or a buying an annual or buying a three-year commitment, even mm -hmm. if you're not paying all up front, that helps them lock in that certain like type yeah. of value. But again, it's going to depend on your buyers. Like and yours are very much different than like the normal technology buyer. So, understanding how they buy and how they think of these things, I think mm -hmm. becomes much more critical for you. Well, I think what's interesting though, is the people that I'm selling to they're, they're um, retailers, right? And so they're used to prices fluctuating quite significantly, especially lately with the, uh, the lumber prices and whatnot changing a lot. Um, and so I think that it probably wouldn't be too big of a deal. I think the only time that there you need to worry is like, if you're like you said, a technology company and you're trying to change your prices every two months, that's probably not a good plan. Um, and as long as you haven't promised anyone anything, right? Um, and you give people ample warning and communication if you are going to change the prices, because um, they can they can continue to make that decision, right? It's not like they're it's not like because they bought your product, you're locked in forever, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it just it depends. Like all of these have to do with like psychology, right? And expectations. So like, I would even counter with your argument of they're used to pl prices changing. I think, yes, they're used to prices changing for like lumber and variable costs, but then that's also their product that they're reselling. So then they essentially are like adjusting as such, right? But like mm -hmm. if their rent changed every month, like their fixed costs, and I would almost think, a service like yours is probably more in the mindset of a fixed cost. Yeah. Then, then that might upset them, right? Like if if you're, like, yeah, your phone bill is going to be within a certain range, but if it had wilder swings or change, like, mm -hmm. then you're going to be maybe the phone bill is a bad example, but like rent, right? Like you're you're yeah. you're building rent or your other things like that. Like I would think when they're doing this and you're thinking about people costs other resource like harder fixed costs and i would think that your services would more fit in that category versus one that involves their product and specific margins because they can always make adjustments there to make up for and they can't control it right so mm -hmm. they can't push back and say oh no 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 i don't want to do that like necessarily like their choice to you is like oh this no longer makes value sense to me i'm just going to I'm just going to quit or, or, or I feel, I feel jaded because 
I bought into this knowing this price, comparing it to the cost of a manual labor doing it. And now that equation has changed. And now my perspective has changed on the service. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. I think you do have to kind of figure out where people stand. Um, I still think though, that there is quite a bit of flexibility there as long as you are having an engaged conversation with them and you're not just jumping it on them where they don't see it coming or something like that. Um, because I think like the market changes all the time, right. Um, in terms of what things cost. And I think that's, that's a reasonable, uh, discussion to have. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, you know, what's, what's funny is you bring up anchor, you brought up anchoring early on and it made me think about that. Cause you also mentioned margin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think you mentioned that in regards to thinking about your costs and your server costs and things like that, because you have real costs when it mm-hmm. comes to that from your service versus like, you know, referral rock is a more traditional SaaS where there's, and everyone's going to have various different types of service costs along with it. But ours is definitely on like the lower end of, of the spectrum of like the type of services we provide because you know, not to dumb it down, but it's essentially just a web app, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, more or less a crud type of app, like a lot of these yeah. things are. But but you actually have other cogs, right? Cost of goods sold, like to get mm-hmm. the data, like you have data costs and other other things that do factor into, there is like sort of a minimum you need to, that where your business isn't going to make sense. And you, so that gives you a floor of like, okay, you know, am I looking at that? But the end, the end result also is your customers. If you're, you're pricing for your customers, like there's going to be factors in that you're going to have to set floors for your pricing. But what they ultimately see, you can't go to them and say, "But my costs are this." Like they don't care, right? That's yeah. not. So when you think of the top line pricing that you're going to give to your customers, you know, factoring in margin for them you know, is, is, I think is not necessarily the best strategy going forward, but setting a floor for yourself, obviously to know if this business is sustainable does. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do have to set a floor, but I, I wonder about like finding some sort of happy medium between the value pricing and the margin pricing, because like the value pricing is really cool. And if you could do like, if you could sell for like a, a factor, like, you know, if you do for like half of what the value is, you know, you sell, like, it's going to cost you $50 to get a person to manually do this, but I'm going to sell this service for $25. Um, right. That, that's a nice, a nice value sell. Um, mm-hmm. But if my margin is $1 and I'm, you know, my value would value point would be $25. Um, I wonder about like inviting competition by pricing too high or even misjudging that value uh, to the customer and, you know, for the sake of starting out, wanting to start a little bit on the low side. I mean, I don't think you should worry about competition in terms of a competition of service, but competition in regards to like your alternative, which is, is the manual labor, I think Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. But I think we, when we did talk about this previously is we were like, okay, there's probably a magic number again, from a psychology (laughs) standpoint, right. Of like where someone is going to go, Okay, like uh, half the price. Uh, I don't know if that really like moves the needle for me. But if it's like 
a quarter of the price of like that I would have to do manually, even though I know it's like substantially better. And I, it is like, I don't know why I might've heard this rule before, but when you've heard of something that is like 10 X better, that's like a good, that's like, that's a no brainer when something is 10 X better than an alternative. uh, And even from a dollar cost perspective or a value, like that's a no brainer. So any, I think you could definitely go like less than 10x because 10x mm. is probably like the no-brainer price. But yep. then, you know, half is probably, you know, uh, you know, a t- like a 2x is probably, eh, I don't know if that's enough to move the needle. So my gut is there's somewhere in between. It's maybe like a 5x or something like that for you. Might maybe, yep. and, and selling it to them, like, again, talking to the person, you know, that's going to, you're going to see their eyes light up or they're see their like kind of, you know, start to salivate or whatever at like that price, like, Ooh, okay. And you're <laughs> at that point, you might be like, Oh, maybe that's, that's price too low, but you yeah. know, there's so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool. That gives me uh definitely gives some things to think about. Uh, Cause I've been, uh, yeah, noodling on that for a while and I do need to come up with some pricing fairly shortly. Yeah, what's interesting is this is where all you know you hear the conventional wisdom of charge more, which mm. I I like because most people most people like us developers and whatnot initially don't charge enough, right? Like mm. so they they're initially fearful of losing the deal. Mm. Um, they're also initially like I'd never pay for that. Like, and I think the interesting part that we have to remember is most of the time, like nine times out of ten we're probably not the buyer, right? So like thinking how we think is pretty much a fool's errand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what's, what's the, you know, one of the other ones we talked about another time, which was like really thinking psychologically of who, not even just like who's buying, who's making the purchasing decision, but whose wallet literally is it coming out of? Like, Mm -hmm. and how people buy and pay is another factor in this. So as you like, if I'm going moving up the chain of like from lowest to highest, you've got individuals that are paying out of their own pocket. So this could be mm-hmm. like, I'm paying for Twitter blue, I'm paying for whatever yeah. else. And I am a more of a prosumer type of thing. Right. Yeah. And then the next level up is like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. This is still my wallet. Like, but I think of things in business terms and like I can equate spending business money to value and that's like level two. Mm-hmm. I would say level three then becomes what I have written in my notes as OPW. <laughs> if you remember, I don't know, back in the 90s, OPP, other people's problems or other people's money, like you hear those okay. terms. So yep. I jokingly called this OPW, which is other people's wallets, right? Like, yep. so yep. this might be, a VA or an admin or a marketing specialist, like spending their boss's money. Right. Right. And those, those are probably premium people to be selling to because they're probably less incentivized to get the lowest price on things. Right. Or they're just like, I don't care. And this this is a funny thing, even from a, uh, you know, we run referral programs and this actually factors into some of those, like, like giving someone a discount when it's not their money, they don't mm. care. Like if I'm like, oh, you refer a friend and you get $50 off and the next friend gets $50 off. If the friend, if it, the friend is another friend's like 
boss's wallet and it's my boss's wallet, like I don't care. But hey, if you give me a uh, if you give me an Amazon gift card, like I can spend that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> off their bill. So that's a little interesting, you know, uh, referral referral marketing hack there. But along those chain, the last one I have that again I think you you need to think of too is procurement. So not only is it not another person's like my boss's money. But does it have to go through an actual billing department where their job mm-hmm. is to do the billing and is to sign the contracts and is to negotiate the contract? And that's yeah. like a whole nother level, right? And that's where all these different levels, I think, are super important to understand of like who is really buying and how do they pay? Um, yeah. And those, those factor a lot into like how you're doing pricing. Is it annual? Is it this? Is it... Like procurement doesn't want to do it month to month. Like they don't want to deal with that BS. They don't want to pay on a credit card, like all this other stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they're paying by credit card, like that's a mi- miles cheaper for me. Whereas if they're mm-hmm. paying by check, then it's like, well, I only want to deal with that like maximum once a year, and that better be right. a good sized check if I'm going to have to go down to the bank and cash it. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever want to do does Seinfeld a big thing in uh, Canada? Yeah, it's 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 around over here. There's there's like these episodes where like he's he he gets cramps because he has to sign these like uh what are those called? like residual royalty checks that are all yep. like pennies and he's yep. just like and it's just like that that's that's kind <laughs> of that, that idea uh, on a on a grander scale you know. So. Yeah, totally. Well, it sounds like when I when you're listing off those things, like my customers tend to fit in the it's the person who owns the business is making the purchase decision. It's Mm -hmm. so it's their money, but it's for the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, they're pretty comfortable paying for credit with credit card for things. I've, I haven't had a, like a large volume of people to deal with yet. So it's hard to tell, but they don't seem to be like, you know, must only pay with check and it's got to go through billing and all that. They don't seem to be that way. Right. No, it's good. And and like the other thing I would say from a floor pricing perspective is like this whole worth reaching your hand to Mm. like worth, worth putting your hand on your wallet type of thing. Like for, and that's different numbers for different people, regardless of that whole spectrum, right. Of, Mm -hmm. of, of types of buyers. But like, you know, some people, if that, that owner of your, of the store is, you know, does reasonably well, like, putting his hand in his pocket to take out his credit card for like a $10 a month thing. Like he's yeah. reaching in regardless, like where's the limit to where he pauses, right? It's like, Oh, a hundred dollars. Is it $200? Is it $500? <laughs> Maybe not 500, but like $50. It's like, I would have reached in and I wouldn't have bat an eye for 50 or a hundred. And to you, that's a substantial difference to them. Yeah. That may not be right. Like the fact that I'm, oh, I'm at the get get my yeah. wallet out, take my credit card out. But like, if it's $25, like you probably could have gone up to 150 and they probably wouldn't have even hesitated. Yeah. But that's, that's where it's hard though, because it's like, you have to try to be able to know <laughs> what those numbers are, right? Like you have to like, you almost have to be able to, and like a lot of this is happening online, right? Like we're communicating over email or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, how do you judge that? Right. Um, like I've got, uh, I've got a paid trial plan as part of product sonar and that's basically to cover my costs and, mm-hmm. um, whatnot and, um, offer them kind of a, a cheaper way in. But the, um, 
just the the first emails that I've gotten from that, it's just like, oh, this is like, you know, fine. I guess I'll give you my like, like, just please just take it. Like, you know, and right. it's like, oh, okay. So I could definitely <laughs> charge more for that. But right. like, you don't know that till you try, right? Right. Yeah, that's where I think maybe for you that that whole at labeling it as a pilot or labeling it as a year, like, hey, this is a intro type of thing. And then that way you can also you know, get a feel because if you real, if they, one, there's two things you prove out over the first year, how valuable you really are. And when Mm -hmm. you try to rip it from their cold, dead hands, like they're like not (laughs) going to let go. Right. And then it's like, Ooh, I can charge more. So it gives you a, a a way to feel that out. So you can, and, and the fact that you're calling it a pilot or you're calling it an intro again, sets that expectation that the price is going to go up, right? So like, Mm. and if someone's like, "Ah, I'll try it for a year, the worst that happens is I quit. Like if it doesn't work for me, I quit. And I didn't, I was worth piloting, I was worth paying that price. So Mm. I I think for you, that might be a a good strategy to approach it as, because it really just Mm. sets the expectation and knows that you're going to have that conversation in a year or things may change. And and during that course of that year, you get to prove how good it is, how much value you can provide. Because maybe they didn't think there was a ton of value in the beginning, but now, again, once you've proven it, once they've relied on your service, then it's like, oh, actually, this has a ton of value, and I'd be definitely willing to pay more. And it gives you that opening of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if it's something over email, like, hey, the price is changing, da, 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 and you can kind of see how they respond to that. Right. Yeah. If they're like, oh, oh, and then you're like, okay, well, you know what? I can, I can extend a discount for the next year. Like you can yeah. still field that and, and, and play with that. Or if they're like, cool, you're like, great. <laughs> you know? I'm And that's, that's a way you can set the expectation for that conversation for later. Yeah. Um, allow you to get the low in and also convince them basically over the course of time that it's worth more. Yeah. And I was also thinking too about like how to change the prices. Um, like I think once you get a, a group of customers, another thing you can do too is to kind of change the customers by segment um, so that you're not changing it all at once. So you get more chance to experiment with how people are reacting to things, right? Like if you have customers that are like right now, it's like one plan fits all kind of thing. And, um, you know, maybe we see that there's a certain group of customers that is, um, wanting data from a certain area. Um, like for instance, they all care about this one, one store that they want to watch. Then it's like, okay, that, that group of people is going to get a different pricing tier. Um, while we run this experiment of what we should set the new pricing to be. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. What one thing I think you did really smart early on was create a unit of value that, Mm -hmm. that allows you to play with this. So like, one thing I think we've seen before is sometimes people want to set unlimited. And I feel like that is a, I feel like that just boxes you in. Like there's mm-hmm. really no reason you should start anything with unlimited. You could set a high number if you want, or you can say, you know, you could, you could use those, but that, that anchors you somewhere. And the fact that you set an early, I forgot what did you, it was it like stores or regions or something like that. You used a, a, a unit yeah, departments, departments. Departments, right. And I think that's really powerful because then it it allows you to build in some expansion for later, which mm-hmm. um, I think kind of alludes to this, this second tier of conversation that I wanted to have, which was like, 
the later pricing where it's like gets into unit based things. And I think what's great is you've already set a mindset around that early on. One, because I think it aligns very much with like your costs as well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you, you sort of did that naturally, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I think the other thing uh, why unit costs is really helpful is that um, you're, it shows that you've thought about the value you're providing to the person, like the customer, right? Like if they're, the customer is getting some value by using your product and that should be quantifiable somehow. Otherwise, how can you justify charging whatever you're, you're charging? And then you can use certain attributes on how many units or units used in a certain direction um, to be able to adjust their pricing later on, right? Um, I think that's like super valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. Because that that's the other one I always have in the in the later approaches, which is like trying to align with something in their world that is very, very easy to understand. So maybe the units is like, you know, a common unit is seats, right? How many, mm-hmm. how many people are using it? Another one would be like, oh, well, how many websites and domains, right? And yeah. for yours, like the language of departments for these types of stores makes a ton of sense because they think if you think in those terms and a customer doesn't have to translate it, that's really powerful because they can go, oh yeah, X per department. I'm already thinking in unit economics mm-hmm. from a department basis. I'm already thinking of about it from a, a website basis. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not thinking about like like how much the data costs per crawl or whatever types of things. <laughs> <laughs> but so if you if and that's what a lot of times people will put in there. It's like, well I don't control those. So and I don't think of that in those in those sort of economics, but, mm-hmm. um, well, and if you get really complicated things where like, like I have, for example, some people say, Oh, I, I only want to get pricing updates once a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then instead of saying like adding that to my spiel of saying, well, if you get it weekly, it's going to cost this much. And if you do this, I just say it costs this much per department. And, um, when they bring that up of, I would like it less frequently then I say, Oh, we can get a deal for you. We can get work out some sort of discount because you're right you know, we're providing less value to you or something like that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great other, other kind of twist on the unit is like frequency, right? Taking time as a factor within that. What's nice is that sets you up, right? Like for the future where you could have a lower tier plan eventually, mm -hmm. like you can start out with one size fits all, but then you can create a shadow tier later on, or it might be you're finding as you're doing more customer discovery, more people are like that. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, let me put you in a second tier. And the tier base price is this, it still has a unit level thing to it. But you could be in tier tier zero, we'll call it we'll call your first one <laughs> tier one, but tier zero that only asks it once a once a week, or the other one could be up to you know, up to twice a week or whatever, but then it gives you that like tier structure, but still stacking with units on top of those tiers. Well, and I think something that's really important too, is that when you're using units to make it really simple, like there is one unit that everybody understands that that is how you're defining what your value is. Because I think that a lot of times you can get bogged down in like, here are the 50 ways that you can quantify the value I'm providing. And mm-hmm. like, depending on what scale you use, and then you get these really complicated pricing pages, right? They've got all the little sliders and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, like you just get lost in the sea of it. Whereas if you can have that one unit that you're kind of driving from, and then everything after that is kind of secondary or like up for negotiation, um, 
I think that that can help with your messaging and your communication. Yeah, definitely early on, all the things you want to do that until you truly know where your segments land. Like Mm -hmm. one of the pages I keep looking at that I really like is uh, customer.io. And um, I think we talked about them before and they have like a two tiered structure, which is essentially targeting like, here's your smaller business. Here's like, they don't even have the sliders and and, uh, like, you don't, you can't calculate everything from there, but I think it says... They charge their unit is based off of like number of profiles. And I think the first tier has like up to 12,000 profiles. So they might even cap it to keep someone in a certain tier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then their next tier up is truly like, oh, you get a dedicated support person. You get this, like maybe it gets more uncapped on you can go past 12,000. Now that, and that I think starts at like a thousand dollars a month, but that. The tier one was $150 a month. So they do have their units within those. Mm-hmm. There's a clear, clear swim lane. Am I the type of buyer that wants service and all this uncapped stuff? Or am I a smaller fish within this? I'm going to be self-service. I'm going to be in that. And then you get into like, kind of you asked about margin and cost, but you also think about once you have people servicing different people and and you start to thinking of splitting those like those are kind of mm-hmm. your internal costs but it also people know oh i'm willing to pay more to get personal service like yeah. that i'm going to be in that that other that other tier as well yeah and i think that works really good for like where there's a clear um separation of different types of people right like you have the service oriented people you have the the smaller the smaller budget sort of customers but I think where that can go wrong is when you have things that are not related, like something that's orthogonal. Like um, I had a mail service the other day that I was working with. They, um, I wanted a dedicated IP so that I could have um, better better spam checking. Delivery and, like and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I'm a little fish email customer, okay? Like I pay mm-hmm. like cents a month for this. Mm-hmm. And to get the dedicated IP, they wanted me to, jumped to a plan that was a hundred dollars a month had all sorts of emails and stuff like i did not need that stuff right and i got really frustrated with that because with them i had to jump over about three swim lanes to get to the enterprise level um whereas i just wanted this one feature and so i went to another mail provider and they're like oh sure you can have that that'll be forty dollars like mm-hmm. like it's cool. like a, a la carte right. type of type of method yeah. right yeah I mean, the tough part about any of this is like, you might not know when you do this, or maybe you're not that that first provider, like, mm. they haven't found a way to efficiently service you or the fact that they also run into grandfathered issues, right? Like, once you mm. set your pricing, it is not undoable, but it becomes challenging. Because if I wanted to, like, once you have the ball rolling, then, then you add a new layer of... Uh, complexity to your pricing because you basically have legacy users Mm -hmm. and if i start if i change the pricing to a different structure like let's say they did get a hundred other customers to move up to that hundred dollar tier for the dedicated ip Mm -hmm. but then they decide well what is the path what is the better path for us do we now offer a 40 dollar plan that has dedicated ip and all those hundreds of customers that were on the hundred, like see that now they're pissed off and then they had, then they downgrade. <laughs> right. Or, you know, and, and they might not have even thought this far, right? Like these are all yeah. these like permutations of, of factors that have to go into the complexity of this stuff. 
especially once you have a rolling ship, right? Like yeah, once the stall yeah. is all in play. Um, so I try, you know, I try to be mature about it, not hold it against <laughs> my provider and just be like, well, there's probably a better provider that, you know, can make sense for this. And, and maybe they're just like, oh yeah, you can go on this, but you just pay a $20 flat fee to get a dedicated IP. We don't, we didn't have that legacy issue before. We actually only rolled out dedicated IP or we've thought through this use case years ago and, mm-hmm. and, and we do want a fish like Nate to be in our net. Right. But that's, and that's really like the, the can, the, uh, counter position power, right. That we we're talking about on the yeah. seven powers yeah. episode, right. Yeah. Like the, for the, the big company, the, the first company where I had to bump up three tiers, like it would cannibalize them to have to change their, their pattern to fit that. Right. And like you said, it's going to cause them so much pain. Um, but yeah, or they don't care. Right. Or they, it's so yeah. small that they don't care. It doesn't move the needle for them. Right. Like mm-hmm. to where that, their true customer, I think, is servicing like a higher tier. And that's, I think that's really important to know. Um, it actually, it actually factored into something we were thinking about this, this week, uh, which I try to think about anytime I'm looking at providers, which is like, mm. am I their true customer? Mm, because if yeah. I'm not, then I'm at risk of being fringe and not being serviced correctly. Right. So one, one example that's come up is, uh, we're looking at designers and we're ta- we were talking to this designer that works purely at a web flow, but I know web flow is like, really it's like, it's this no code, but it's like, you could do a lot of design. I, I don't know enough about it, but the fact that a designer was going to give us designs out of web flow mm-hmm. was like, I had a question. I was like, I don't know if that's a fringe use case. Will they? Will that ever be there? What, what Webflow truly cares the most about is right. like giving exported clean HTML and CSS out of their system. Probably not. Like no. <laughs> they, want, they want people to stay in their ecosystem. So if they're ever to build a tool that gives out clean HTML and CSS, like that's no. that's for the figmas. That's for the the tools that are meant to do design and are meant to workflow out of it. Mm-hmm. But yet it would be counter positioning for Webflow to do that. So if for us, would it be smart for us to get in bed essentially with a designer that is purely only going to be designing stuff out of Webflow? Like mm-hmm. I might be swimming upstream there. Like that may seem like a good deal initially, mm-hmm. but we're going to run into longer term issues with that we're going to be like very much uh at the whim of what webflow does so i think it's important thing when you pick vendors or when you're thinking about vendors or thinking about being a customer is like yeah i can fringe use this use case but if i'm not their primary use case is this is this something i'm really going to be like like in the best position for if that makes sense yeah and if you think about that on the flip side like as the provider that's where this whole adage of like marketing, like when you're doing your marketing to be very specific about who you're serving, right? That's where that works. Because if if I communicate that I am a data provider for hardware stores in Canada, like you mm-hmm. can't get more partic- particular than that. And those people, they know, okay, this person is aligned with what I want. Um, it's as opposed to saying, I'm a general pricing data provider. They're like, well, okay, right? Right. I could I could be totally invested in the shoe business like a lot of other companies and not care much about them and what their needs are. 
No, that's that's a really good point. Bringing it back to like positioning and and marketing and basically how you're you know how you're speaking to customers because mm-hmm. yeah, if they know you're really your mission is to solve their problem, um, mm-hmm. and and hopefully you don't get so big that it changes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe it does. And and honestly, then that's that's like a different problem. It's like okay, how do I continue to support these people in a nice way, even if I eventually pivot away from that. And I think mm-hmm. that's more of an ethical thing that most of us, you know, might have to deal with. But the early parts of the stuff you're talking about with pricing is like, you know, are there different segments within those? How do we look at those? But early on, you do try to, it's like, you, you've got to be broad and narrow at the same time. And it's, it's, it's challenging. It's like you might want to be broad on the pricing, but narrow with who you're speaking to, right? And that's, I, I think, think that's, yeah. the, the net you're trying to catch until I figure out and really understand what customers are buying. I really, truly understand what the value is and also prove the value to them over time because the initial like first impression of that value versus how they're going to think and feel once they're running with mm-hmm. the value you can provide six months later, like, those are two different value propositions. Yeah, and then the hard thing with all of this is just like you don't know what they're what they're going to do until they say yes or no. Like you yeah. put it in front of somebody, you show them the final product after you've built it all and spent all that time and like you present them with a price and if they say yes or no, that's your data point. Uh everything before that and after that is kind of who knows, right? Right, right, right. So anyway, I think this was a hopefully a pretty interesting episode. We kind of ran through the gambit of a lot of different things. I think the resonating stuff for me is like the psychology of the buyer mm-hmm. <laughs> is I think ones I kept bringing up, um, which I think you really have to lean into um, mm-hmm. not just competition, not just like even stuff of like the the psychology of taking out your wallet, how people are paying all of these pieces, you know, really, really factor in aside from just the quote unquote, like demographics or the, yeah. the market segment type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely uh, got lots of pricing to, to, to think about in the next week or two. So uh, this has been really helpful. Yeah. I'm excited to see how hopefully you get more Stripe, you know, uh, notifications and dollar symbols out of this. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully got to, got to get you out there and get more than the just one that's when you when it when it starts to really feel like you got some traction but but really excited for you thanks well it's uh it's been good chatting with you josh have a have yourself a good week all right later nate Bye. thanks for joining us today if you enjoyed our podcast please share with a friend we're new to this podcasting thing and we'd love to hear what you have to say Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's searching the number four SAS. Or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week. Bye.